Well, in the last part of our series on Joseph, we're considering how Joseph was made strong in weakness. And I'm grateful that when I'm weak, God wants to show his strength. You know, we are creatures who can be very weak at times, but God wants to meet us in that place of weakness. But sometimes he allows us to come there, right, to bring us low so we realize we can't do it, that we have to come to the end of ourselves where we're able to let go of the idea that we're okay on our own and we can, do, we can handle things. But come to that place where we just trust fully in the fact that we are in the hands of God and we have, must rely upon him who is called the strength of Israel. I'm glad he's called the strength of Israel. He's the strength of his people. And he will empower us. He'll empower us to walk. He'll empower us to run, to run our race, so that we can become like those heroes of faith who were out of weakness made strong to do mighty things for him. But I want to consider another aspect that is related, you could say, to this, this thought of uh, out of weakness, we're, we're made strong. Um, and it's how Joseph came from that place of weakness to where he was able to triumph. And one area of weakness he had to face was, excuse me, <clears throat> was through his lineage. His lineage. All right, so he was in the line of the patriarchs of Abraham, who's the father of our faith. But, you know, there were some things that Joseph had to overcome from his lineage as well. Right. Isaac was the son of promise and he, you know, showed us some wonderful things in his life. Right. At once at one point we see Isaac planting and receiving a harvest and it was a harvest of great increase. In fact, it, it says in Genesis 26, 12, it said Isaac, <clears throat> Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold and God blessed him. And so here, Isaac is that picture of the son of promise who brings forth 100-fold. That we can relate that to the parable of the sower. Someone who has a, a heart that's soft uh, and receptive and fruitful for God to develop the fruit of his spirit. But you know, there's also that truth that we have to continue in that. We have to endure in that state and allow God to continually work. Uh, at the end of Isaac's life, he displayed some tendencies that were a little concerning, you could say. Right? He favored his son Esau, uh, of whom it said God hated, because Esau despised the birthright and the blessing. And, and so with Isaac, you get that sense he had kind of come to uh, focus on some natural things rather than the spiritual you know, and we can see that and how he placed an emphasis on, you know, he enjoyed good food and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But yet we don't want to this spiritual to be lacking as well. So there were some good things passed down in the lineage of Joseph and some things that were not as good. And then there was his father, Jacob. Right. Uh, and there was an improvement there. There was a progression uh, between Isaac and Jacob, because, you know, even though he's initially started out following in the ways of his uh, mother, Rebecca, who was deceitful. 
you know, Jake and encourage Jacob in that way. But yet Jacob sought to overcome. Right? And he wrestled with that angel throughout the night because he wanted to be changed. He wanted to uh, meet with God. And, and so he obtained a change of name, which represents a change of heart and character. But I think we can also understand that they, at the end of Jacob's life, there was still a sense of, of struggle. You know, that, and, and we can, uh, there was still that measure of struggle in his life. I think we can see it from his reply to Pharaoh. Right? When Pharaoh kind of asks a, an innocent question, how old are you? And I thought that it was an interesting reply he gives, uh, J- Jacob gives. He says, Genesis 49, 47 and verse 9 says, Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and I have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers, even in the days of their pilgrimage. And, and so even though Jacob's speaking of his age, you get the sense he had walked a hard road. And maybe there were some things he wished he could have happened differently and, and so forth. Right. And, but there was that progression still. And then we come to Joseph and, you know, Joseph receives this lineage from his fathers, also his mother. Right. And remember his mother, Rachel, she stole the idols from her father, you know, to take with her, hid them in her tent. And it speaks of the fact she probably had some idols within as well. And so here's Joseph. You know, he's, he's of this lineage of the patriarchs, right? But yet he's got the good and the bad. But what's so encouraging about Joseph and his life is that he was able to overcome in so many different areas, right? In the natural uh, situation that he was in, in his captivity, but he was even able to overcome the things within his nature, the things he inherited, the things in his lineage that he was born with, he was able to triumph. And in reality, he is a type of Christ. You know, when you consider the lineage of Christ and you look down through his line and you see all of the, you know, he, there's some good examples there, but you know, I think there's a lot more bad examples than good in that lineage, right? If you think of all the kings of Judah and, you know, different ones, uh, you know, he had a, a lineage of things passed down, but yet he triumphed. Christ triumphed over that. All of that, uh, that, that uh, weakness of his humanity, he triumphed over that to become the spotless Lamb of God. And so the message of Joseph and the message of Christ is that God wants to do that in us. He wants to lead us on that. He wants to enable us to triumph because we too have a lineage, right? We too have a nature that we received at birth uh, and in that comes good things and some not so good things that we struggle with, that we deal with in our heart. And God's example and plan for us is that we would triumph over our flesh, that we come into full victory full deliverance and freedom and liberty in him. And there's really two aspects uh, of the covenant that we have with God that I wanted to just mention this morning. The first aspect is seen in type in the old covenant, right? Because, uh, it, which is a picture of the spiritual fulfillment in the new covenant. But 
But you know, the old covenant, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. That, that was the, the sign of the covenant of what God wanted to do. Of course, in the new covenant, it's spiritual. God wants to do a spiritual work in our hearts, in our nature. Basically, spiritual circumcision is this. It's a divine and inner work in our hearts whereby the Lord comes and he cuts away certain aspects of our nature that we were born with. And what are those aspects? It's, it, there could be a multitude, right? You could give example after example. There's many things. But basically, it's, it's those things that will cause us to fall short of the glory of God. You know, you could think of pride or stubbornness. I can be a little stubborn at times. Sometimes God has to repeat himself once in a while. Natural thinking, right? You could fill in the blank, right, of those things that you struggle with. But God wants to come in and he just wants to relieve us of the weight of that sin that we were born with, with of that struggle and deliver us from it in our hearts. You know, actually, the whole covenant and promise to Abraham was based on this concept of circumcision. And, and in the natural, I mentioned it was, or in the Old Testament, it was in the natural. But we are the spiritual seed of Abraham as well. So we still have to abide by this covenant of circumcision. Genesis 17, 10. The Lord said, the Lord said uh, to Abraham, this is my covenant, which you shall keep. Basically, said his seed must be circumcised. The seed of Abraham, to be a part of his covenant, whether old or new, his seed must be circumcised. And so for the New Testament, what does it mean to be a covenant-keeping Christian? God says it's to have a circumcised heart. And what's interesting is, you know, it's not just a one-time process, but it's an ongoing work where God reveals things. You know, he, he doesn't do us all at once. He reveals one thing at a time. Otherwise, I think we'd die, you know, if he <laughs> tried to deal with everything in our heart. He deals with, and he comes and he says, let me, let me remove that. Let me cleanse that from your life. Let me relieve you of the weight of that struggle with sin in your life. Really, circumcision is one of the greatest forms of deliverance. We can be, you know, delivered in the natural of healing or something, but, you know, to be delivered in your nature sets you free. Oh, it's a freedom like no other. But we can't ignore it. We ignore that at our peril. And one of the greatest examples we have is Moses, right? One of the greatest Saints and heroes of faith in Scripture found himself in that position where, right, he was, he was one of the great communicators of the covenant of God and his law, and he was on his way to set people free and, and to proclaim the law of the Lord. And what happened? I'm always astounded when I read this verse, Exodus 4 and verse 24. And it came to pass as Moses was on the way to deliver his people. The Lord met him and sought to kill him. And Lord, isn't that a little extreme? You were going to kill him just for a little natural thing? You know, what was it? It was that 
his children had not been circumcised. And what it means is he had not been upholding the covenant in his family. And what does that bring? Well, I think we can understand from this verse, not upholding that covenant brings death. And for us, it's spiritual death. And so the story goes that his wife Zipporah performed the circumcision. She wasn't very happy at how the circumstances took place. But, you know, it, the thing that we want to take note is here is the one we know as the giver of the law, the friend of God, the one who talks to God face to face. He's one of the two candlesticks who, who stands before the Lord of the whole earth and God sought to kill him to bring death because he was not upholding the covenant in his family. And it's a serious thing, right? To be those who represent the living God and to have that unfulfilled in our personal lives or in our, in our family life, right? That we must be those of the covenant, that we seek God, O oh Lord, let me be circumcised of heart, following you, yielding to your work in our lives. And so circumcision, you know, was brought out at the beginning as they, you know, of God did that at the beginning, you know, starting with Moses in Israel. But, you know, God also did that at the end of their journey through the wilderness. Right. When Israel was crossing over into their inheritance. What's interesting is while they were in the desert, circumcision didn't take place. Right. Between those two events of Mount Sinai and taking their inheritance, there, you know, they, there wasn't that sense of urgency in the area of circumcision, you could say. A whole generation was uncircumcised as they crossed over the Jordan. Yeah, but there's a truth for that in our day. You know, I was just kind of thinking how God has moved in different times in the past, and when he moves and he throws his net over a nation or a town or a city or something like that, one of the things that comes when he moves in revival is a sense of holiness, a sense of awe, is that you want to walk, you know, so carefully in the presence of God. You know, you think sometimes I hear stories of the Pentecostal movement. You know, Pastor Bailey used to share that story of a, of a church their God was moving in prophecy so specifically that people were scared to come to church because if they weren't walking right, God would reveal it in, in the prophetic and everyone would know. And so they made sure they took time. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for that not obeying you or saying that thing to, you know, that person. Cleanse me. Oh, they wanted to walk right. But here this generation was kind of in between these two experiences of Mount Sinai, I've seen the power of God and the fire on the mountain and they feared and quaked to even come near the mountain and here they are just kind of wandering and you know, traveling in the desert. But then they come to the promised land and they're gonna enter in to their inheritance. And God says, it's time to be circumcised. But I think that's true today as well for the people of God. You know, God has moved in times past, but now God's calling us to enter into our inheritance. And corporately, if, if we want to be a part of God's moving and power and revival 
in our day of coming into our inheritance and being a witness to the nations for Christ, you know, to our cities, to our neighbors, to bring in a harvest of believers and to be part of that. What has to take place in this current generation that hasn't seen his power move in a while? A fresh working of circumcision. I'm not just talking about the young generation, even, even that, but I think God needs to do a deep work in all of us because it's been a while since we've experienced the power of God and seen him move. In fact, I have yet to see that. We experienced a little bit at camp. We get little tastes at camp some, sometimes. But, you know, with the power of God also comes a requirement of holiness, to be in his presence. And part of my personal illustration here, but, you know, I had an opportunity many years ago uh, to read some notes by Pastor Bailey, and they were notes of one of his classes at Elam. And, and it was during the charismatic revival and some of the things he was talking about of, you know, of holiness and how he was living. At one, I remember at one point I stopped reading it because I was so convicted. It was just you know, that conviction of, oh, wow, what holiness you are requiring, Lord. And I just thought, I need to change. I need God to come in and cut away some things. You know, I, I had not experienced holiness. I realized I hadn't experienced holiness in my life like that up to that point. But I think that's true in a general sense as well. You know, for individuals, as a church, as a fellowship, and most certainly as the body of Christ, if we're going to enter into our inheritance and into the promised land to dispel those giants that are occupying it, we must be circumcised. We must be set free from those things that would hinder us. I'll mention one last thing about circumcision, because it's hard to describe it, you know, when you're like, well, what, what is it? What, are, what am I circumcising? What is being circumcised? I think a good summary is what Stephen said to those who were not receiving the gospel in his message. And he said this, and you know, he, talked, he gave this whole long history of Israel, and then he ended it with this, Acts 7 and verse 51. And it's like, here's the summary. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do you. And that's what he was trying to bring out in that sermon. How at time after time, they just resisted what God was trying to do. And they were doing it again in his day. And we, we do it again in our day. But really, what, what God was speaking to his people is that they were uncircumcised in heart. But what did that mean? It, mean, it meant that when God was speaking... They were resisting. They were resisting. And that's what an uncircumcised heart will cause us to do. Resist what God wants to do. Resist to cause us to resist when he wants to lead us in a certain way or to accomplish a certain work. You know, if we want to flow in the power of God, we have to be a conduit of that power. And, you know, if you're working with uh, electricity or, uh, you know, electrical devices, there's some materials that allow power to flow well and some that don't, right? If you have rubber gloves, right, you, you wear rubber gloves to protect you from getting a shock because they don't let power flow, 
right? So there's some that are conduits that that uh, uh, that allow electricity to flow, but there's others that are called insulators that prevent the electricity from flowing, like rubber or ceramics. But a part of that circumcision is saying, Lord, remove anything that will resist your work in my life, that will resist the flow of the Spirit, that will resist your word working mightily in me. And in doing so, he will lead us into his land, into our land and give it to us. I realize I spent a lot of time on that first topic. I have one more thing, but we're, I just want to bring out one aspect. We've talked about it before, but, but there's another major aspect of the covenant, right? That, and, and kind of two parts. But I just quickened on the second aspect of the covenant, which is grace, right? The new covenant is a covenant of grace. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. And grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so grace is divine favor. But the one I think that we, we deal with the most is divine ability because he wants to give us divine ability to walk with him. All right. And so the first part is if, if we have trouble following him, he cuts away the things that are causing us to resist, but then we need his grace to be empowered to fight those battles, to fight the enemy, to displace the enemy who's dwelling in, in our inheritance. And so we need his grace, his grace. But of course, grace comes to a specific group, to the humble, right? James 4 and verse 6. God resists the proud. Oop, there's that word. He resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So there are some who are very self-reliant. They'll always be limited by their own strength. But those who recognize I can't do it on my own, I must have help from God, he releases his grace to them. But there's one aspect of, that was really quickened to me uh, concerning his grace. It's from Hebrews 4 and verse 16. It says, let us therefore come boldly or confidently to the throne of grace that we might obtain uh, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so we're called, we're, in, you know, we're invited to come to his throne, which he has called. He's given it his throne a title, his throne of grace. We can come before his throne of grace and there we find mercy and he gives us grace. And so we can come with that great confidence, with a certainty that if we come to him, God's going to release his divine enablement and power that we need. But there is a key that we have to consider in this that was just, you know, kind of brought, Lord brought into my spirit, is that he releases grace in time of need. When does he give it? When we need it. Not before. And not really after, maybe in his mercy, he'll give it after, but in time of need. You know, we might anticipate something. Sometimes we can think about the future and we think, oh, Lord, how am I going to deal with that? Well, when the time comes, he'll give grace. And we can just rest in that. Because that grace is only released when we come to his throne in that time of need. Yet we can't neglect that timing, right? We have to have the humility to recognize, Lord, 
I can't do it. I need you. I need your grace today. Would you come and pour out? You know, when I look back over the times, I felt myself kind of striving and, you know, struggling in a sense. It's usually because I didn't come to his throne at the right time. You know, at that point of need, I just kept trying to fix it. I I just kept trying to do it on my own. But if we will set our hearts to come to him at whatever point we're at, you know, whether it's in the day or in the night, but if we come to him and we purpose and we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, would you give me your grace today? His, his promise to us is we can have confidence he'll release his grace. And, you know, as we brought out before, there's many different colors of temptations and trials as, as many colors as there are in the rainbow and in the spectrum of colors, there can be that, the, that type of trial, many different kinds. But for every trial, there's a, there's a matching, a corresponding color of grace. And that grace is abundant. And it can overwhelm our trial because he pours out his abundant grace. God wants us to experience his abundance of grace because that's who reign in life, right? Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. And so something we see in Joseph is how he triumphed. He triumphed over with what was within, in his nature, right? We've kind of looked at how he's triumphed over circumstances to a degree, but yet he also had those things within. He had a lineage of good things and some not so good things, but like Christ, he was able to triumph over them. And God would lead us into that same triumph as we allow him to come and cut away and remove those things in our hearts, those things that we were born with, those things that cause us to resist what he wants to do, the beautiful work that he wants to form within us. You know, it has nothing to do with our mind You know, we want him to do that beautiful work, but yet there's something in us that just resists it. And we must come and say, oh God, yield, I yield to your work. Come and just remove that from my life. And, you know, but that's also yielding to whatever circumstance he'll bring to to remove that as well. But if we'll do that, he will lead us into the land and he'll empower us. As we face our giants, God will release his abundant grace as we come to his throne. And that grace will overwhelm our enemies. And through grace, we will triumph and enter into all that he has for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the covenant of grace that you have made with us. Lord, we just ask that you would work afresh. Work afresh upon us and in us, O God. Lord, we want the fullness of your covenant to be accomplished in our lives. And Lord, we just, we open our hearts to you. Lord, we pray that you would come and Lord, just do that work of removal, of cleansing. Lord, cleanse away those things we were born with. Lord, would you even identify them? Oh Lord, that we could, Lord, seek your face and be cleansed from them. And Lord, we just pray, oh, that we would enter into a new level of grace. Oh, teach us to be those who would come to your grace, your throne of grace in time of need, that we would not neglect that. Oh, that we would receive the abundance of grace 
to reign in life through Jesus Christ, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.